Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mission Log Supplemental, number 12. Recapping Star Trek The Original Series, with Rod Roddenberry. very special supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Ken, I'm, I'm very, very sorry. Why? I'm, I'm so sorry because, see, I, I had this idea for our wrap-up that it would be sort of like a, like a 1970s variety show where we just have like, hey, look, here's this guest, and then here's this guest, and then and we're done, and we wrap it all up with a bow, mm-hmm. and then we're done, and that's it. And I didn't suspect, although I should have, yeah. that you and Rod and I would talk for like an hour about the original series. Oh, had we only talked for an hour. It, <laughs> we, we could have gone for hours and hours more, I think. I think this is an ongoing conversation. We'll probably still be having this conversation in Vegas later this year. Well, I don't think we'll be having I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Mission Log is an ongoing conversation about Star Trek. Right. So, I mean, to think that especially, you know, when you get on with... The guy who put the show together and, you know, the son of the guy who, you know, put Star Trek together. Right. Yeah, really. It's like 15 minutes. It's kind of like Disney. It's like Disneyland. It it will never be finished. It just keeps getting added to and changed and built. And uh, yeah. So how did we solve this problem, Ken? Oh, I don't think we did. Well, <laughs> well, here's what we're doing. Here's okay. what we're doing. So, so we let our audience in on what's happening. We're releasing this interview with Rod on its own. I would um, wait. Let's stop. I don't want to say interview. Let's say conversation because it really. Okay. I mean, it really was a conversation. It's not like, you know. I mean, yeah. You, you sit down with Rod and you say, "So, growing up in your house, what was that like? And yeah, were you no, a Star no. Trek person or a Star Wars person? I mean, that's <laughs> right. that's like an interview. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, um, yeah, this was yeah. not that. This is more like, sup. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very most, casual. Most interviews don't start that way. Yeah, that's very true. So it was a casual conversation and we got to share all of our thoughts, or at least many of our thoughts about this journey of 79 episodes of the original series. It's pretty cool. And yes. I think people are going to enjoy it. Well, I hope they do. Now, there is one thing that we have to that we have to point out. Originally, and? this show was going to be, so we got Mr. Rod Roddenberry on, we got these other people, and they're going to be talking about this other stuff, and then next week we've got this other thing. Right. And we've actually uh, we've actually uh, monkeyed with our schedule a tiny bit, so give people an idea. You don't have to say you know exactly what, but give people an idea of what happens next, and then after that, and then after that. Right, right. So this episode is the, the casual conversation with Rod. Yep. And then just a few days later, you're going to get the, uh, the somewhat cavalcade of stars. It'll be more conversations and interviews about the original series, as well as uh, some feedback from our listeners, which I think is very cool. Then we have the Richard Arnold interview. Then we go into the animated. So we're actually going to hit the animated on time. Yes. You're just getting a bonus show. 
in the way of that. Yes, unless we go long on anything, in which case you might get three more bonus shows before we get to the cartoons. <laughs> it's just, in fact, we're just every day, we're just going to release another <laughs> T-Let's wrap up. In fact, I'm going to get it for everybody. Ken, I'm going to give your home phone number, and if somebody thinks about Star Trek and they want to talk about TOS, yeah. they can just call you yeah. and just continue the conversation. You should absolutely do that. I think you should really do that. What I'm really looking forward to, actually, is our TOS wrap-up wrap-up podcast. That'll be great. Yeah, we, we should where, do that. Where you take all 12 of the TOS wrap-up shows <laughs> that we've done <laughs> and then talk about what we learned there. Uh, for starters, maybe not so many wrap-ups. All right. Say hello to the people, Rod. Hello to the people. All right, Rod Roddenberry. <laughs> wait, guys. Wait, wait, wait. Say hello to the party people over there. <laughs> all right. Party people in the house. There you go. Yay. <laughs> So Rod, Rod, who is always that looming presence when we do a show, but uh, but now we get to have him on the air with us for a little bit, and uh, we wanted to do this for our our wrap up. The three of us have now been through this journey of talking about seventy nine episodes of Star Trek, and uh, we get a lot of feedback from people saying like, "Hey, well, when you get to the end." What are you going to do? Are you going to do a wrap-up? Are you going to talk about the the favorite episodes, the least favorite episodes, the big themes, uh, all of that? So we've all been sort of thinking about that. And Can I just jump in, actually? Yeah, I'm, do it. I'm going to jump in right here. I, I got to do one thing. You know, um, I, I think everyone, if you're listening in your car, if you're on your computer, if you're listening on your iPhone – you know, you got to give a round of applause to John and Ken for for giving us these last 79 episodes and doing such a great job. And now, Ken, you're going to have to, because I'm saying it now, you're going to have to put in one of those, like, applaud things in the background. <laughs> cheers. So you have to do that now. So ready? Let's do it now. All right. I can't wait to hear what sound effect I actually put in there. <laughs> crickets like, you, guys, you guys are amazing you guys I, I i know you were still doing the intro but i i couldn't hold back um this turned out far better than anything i i really could have imagined uh the only thing i will take credit for is putting the two of you together the magic that came after that is entirely the two of you and i am yeah, I've got the wonderful title of executive producer of this, but more than that, I'm a fan of the show. Every episode that I listen to from you guys, I, I'm always saying, oh, I never thought of it that way, or I didn't notice that, or wow, that's great trivia. I've never seen the shows the same way. Okay, now I, I actually am thinking that we should have him on every week. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll start off with that every time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. be part of the intro. Wow, my mind was blown by what you thought of with the alternative factor. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that, that, Thank that's you. incredibly kind of you, Rob. Hey, and listen, you guys made Spock's brain good. I mean, I watched it. It wasn't as bad as I thought. And then you guys talked about it, and you pulled out a whole bunch of things that really made me appreciate that much more. It's nowhere near my top ten. But, you know, it wasn't that dismal failure of an episode that it's it's gone on in my mind for the last 40 years. That's actually been a really interesting thing. So, like, even so in preparing for this, we had, you know, this whole what's your favorite episode, what's your least favorite episode and all that stuff. Right. I'm going back over all the episodes and I'm amazed how just this week and I know it's become like a joke with people who listen to the show that I can't remember the name of episodes. Hey, guess what? It's not just the name of episodes I can't remember. I'm going back through here, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that episode. And then there's like there's like 10 or 20 that I'm like, did we watch that? Are we sure that we actually – that name means nothing to me. Now, of, course, of course, I've forgotten what names they were. So. 
<laughs> were, were there episodes for you guys that you know for for an absolute fact you had not seen until we started doing this? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for me, absolutely. I, I I swore that I'd seen every episode or almost mm-hmm. every episode. In fact, I've told many people that. But going back and watching them. I remember the key scenes that I'd seen, and I don't know where I'd seen them, but I had not watched that episode all the way through. And I'd say there's a good 10-plus episodes that were like that, that was just completely fresh and new. Yeah. I I think the the only one that jumps out to me by title is The Empath. That was one that, for some reason, like I I was sort of vaguely aware of that show, and maybe I'd seen a still from it every now and then. but watching that one for the show, maybe I just blocked it all out of my mind. Um, <laughs> but I, I did not remember watching that episode all the way through at all. Um, pretty much everything else, I had a, a good grasp of it. Like I, I knew that I had seen or read enough about it that I knew what I was in for. Um, but the empath just totally took me by surprise. Um, it, it is said that uh, to know that you do not know is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, there we go. So yeah. I, I was imparted I, with a piece of wisdom. I, I, well, I know for a fact that I hadn't seen all of them, but I don't know which ones I had seen and which ones I hadn't. Yeah. I think I, I think I mentioned to you, it's weird actually knowing now that I have seen them all. Yeah. It's kind of strange because, you know, I mean, yeah, we get the cartoons, we get the movies, although I've seen the movies, I've not seen the animated series, but I've seen pretty much, I've now seen, I think, unless they, you know, were on some sitcom or something like that, I've seen every shot now of Bones uh spock and and kirk which is weird it's Mm -hmm. you know it's weird to like oh okay that's there are no undiscovered countries for me anymore (laughs) no we we haven't gotten to the undiscovered country yet so i guess there's one yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i gotta say that having seen them all weekly now um back to back I really wrestle with the question of, you know, what it, what was it like 45 years ago? What was it like to be an audience member? And I know it, it, it depends on how old you are and, and what social economic status you were, where you lived in the world when you saw these, what your life was like. But it is an obvious statement, but it is so different to watch these with, in the 2013-2014 mind frame. Mm-hmm. and try to compare to what it was like back then. I think you guys have brought this up a few times, but it's it's mind blowing because I, I've got two perspectives on it. 2013, 2014 brain. It's like, um, yeah, you know, there were some real good episodes, but a lot of it, eh, people are going to be mad at me and send the hate letters to John and Ken. <laughs> um, I, I was kind of bored by it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only when, and this this just proves how awesome you guys are because you are so analytical and you look at every aspect. So many things that I overlooked that ended up making me want to go rewatch the episode because I was, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? Um, Because I didn't look at it with the critical eye that you guys did. I really just tried to enjoy. And at the same time, I was forgiving a lot of the the issues and glitches, especially when we got to season three. Ken, you made a statement once that said, is it a good episode for, for all of Star Trek or is it just because we're in season three, you're comparing it to that and that's why it's a good episode. Mm-hmm. I, I started, you know, in season three, starting to let a lot of things go and go along with the ride and then in the end just sort of say, meh, that was yeah. a meh and not being as critical as I was in season one and two. So um, I, I, I don't want to use the word disappointment. It's when you compare it to the legacy of Star Trek today. This 45 years of, of, of philosophy that has come from Star Trek. And I know we haven't gotten into the other shows yet, but 
where did it all come from? I, I look back at these these 79 episodes and I say, where did that all come from? Now, you, you guys both know who Dave Goodman is. He, he, he was a Star Trek writer, but he also wrote that great Futurama episode uh, where no fan has gone before. And I, I think it's actually a line from that Futurama where somebody says, well, what is Star Trek? Oh, it was a TV show, 79 episodes, about 30 good ones. and and this is coming from a star trek writer you know um so it it is kind of funny that here we are picking apart these 79 episodes and and i think we kept asking ourselves the same questions which is well by the time we get to the end of this how do we account for the longevity of the show and i just started writing down ideas. I, I just started writing down thoughts about, well, what are all the elements? Because I've asked this of a few of our guests, you know, what is that formula that makes this happen? And Mike and Denise Okuda hit a big one, which is chemistry. You know, just the, the chemistry of the cast is really, it, it's really magnetic for the audience. You know, when, when you watch William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and D. Kelly really inhabiting those roles, when you've spent enough time with them, several hours with them, you're really drawn to them. And it's hard then to imagine Star Trek with anybody else. So I kind of, I kind of put myself back in that position in 1986 of hearing that there's going to be a new Star Trek with a new cast thinking, come on, no way you can have a new cast because Star Trek is those three guys. So I think they really hit it right with that. I think there are good ideas in the shows. Um, Rod, your father, you know, you, you shared with us some uh, some clips from uh, him doing the lecture circuit in mm-hmm. the 70s. And he says, he says at the beginning of several of those speeches, okay, I'm going to try to do today what we tried to do on Star Trek, yeah. which is uh, entertain you and every now and then slip in a heavy idea or two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I feel like that that definitely comes across in the show, and those few good ideas really rise to the top, and, and they really resonated back then, and and of course they resonate today. But I, I'm trying to really put myself in that place and see, you know, how powerful they were. So don't right. get me wrong; I'm not saying I dislike TOS, and nor am I saying that I expect every episode to be, you know, a grand slam. Um, it's just really shocking to 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 think back through all these episodes and and compare it to where we are today and what's what yeah. Star Trek has become. Well, you gotta, you kind know? of also figure, it seems to me that one of the things that made Star Trek or that gave Star Trek the sticking power that it had was scarcity. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got what mm-hmm. three networks at the time and then yeah. maybe some independent stations, but the independent stations, it's not like today. I mean, you don't have anybody producing hell on wheels or, right. or Battlestar Galactica for that matter. Uh, you know, from, from, ABC, NBC, or CBS, and certainly not from anything that was independent of that. Um, and there was nothing else like it, of course. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. so you have. I mean, first of all, it was it was there, and it was weekly. So if you're a science fiction fan already, that's awesome. But then it actually does have the heavy ideas that you're talking about. It did not. I mean, it wasn't Rocky Jones. It was not you know right. Flash Gordon. Right. It was actually something that took took the idea seriously. It's not hard science. I mean, it's not like an you know. It's not like mm-hmm. an Asimov episode every week or, or Arthur C. Clarke or something like that. But it took the idea that we're going to be in space and that we're going to be doing these things and we're going to evolve as a society seriously. It wasn't just like, hey, look, jetpacks. 
You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, mm-hmm. there's not a jetpack in the well, not until you get to the motion picture. That's then you got jetpacks, but you're in space, and really, you know, a jetpack in space is not nearly as. I digress. Yeah, um, I think I think scarcity would have a lot to do with it, but then then you also get the familiarity. I've had this one thing. So remember when Bob Orsi said, "If we had an idea that we should call him." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. I, I've got one thing that he needs to be sure to do. Okay. He needs to not go back in time. The reason back in time works is because we lived with these characters from the future every week. And to to one day say, what would it be like if you put Kirk, you know, back in 1960s, whatever, you know, and then you get um, all tomorrow's returns to yesterday or whatever those episodes are called. (laughs) Yes. Because they all had sort of similar titles, it seems (laughs) like. But, you know, me and titles. That's just the Star Trek four works. And I know we haven't gotten there yet. Star Trek four works because now we know these characters and they're older and they've been through so much more stuff. Plus a new group of people gets to see them in there today. 1986, right? 86, yeah. 87. Yeah. I, I get to see Kirk in my day, not in 1968, 1969. And that's, you know, kind of fun and exciting. We don't care about, about the new, about the retread crew. And I don't think we're ever going to get to a place that we do care about them enough that we're going to want to see them go back in time because we're going to know them at most. We're going to know them for two hours at a time. Right. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, I think there's it's it's a combination of scarcity and familiarity. And then also the only other thing that I can think of that is like it, because part of me wants to say you could never do this again. But um, then I say Firefly. Firefly right. only had like 15 episodes. I think only 13 of them actually aired. And and it inspires a loyalty that's not the same, but that is surprisingly similar when you consider that when Firefly was on, there were 200 channels. You, I mean, you have all sorts of science fiction that's come, and still it, it actually managed to yeah. reach through to people. Um, not in the same way, but... Um, in a way that's kind of similar. Well, you, you just hit on a thing that I, I think is key to Star Trek's success, and, and that is its death. I, I think that we would not be having this conversation today if Star Trek had not died the way it did in 1969 mm-hmm. and, oh, and had gone into syndication. I, I really do feel that because it, it's two things. I mean, one, there is a demand because there is a even if it's a small audience there is a small core audience that this show really resonated with and then those people told their friends hey there is this great show and it's coming back on in syndication and that's what I'm going to be doing Thursday afternoon is watching this show the other part of it though is that because it died and I don't mean to say this in any way to disparage the cast of the show but realistically as an actor when your show goes away you are out of work you have really nothing else to do except pound the pavement and look for the next job. Because this show died and because it wasn't a huge hit at the time, everything about the show, Rod, from from your mom and dad to every actor to everybody who worked on it, they were accessible. And those first conventions that happened in the early 70s, I think like 1972 was the first uh-huh. big one in New York, something like that. That immediately cemented the the fan to production relationship 
that Star Trek has. And you think about it, there are a lot of other big franchises out there. There's James Bond, there's Star Wars. Uh, there are other big TV shows like uh, Twilight Zone or whatever. And they never, ever have had, and I think ever will have, the same kind of fan ownership that Star Trek has. So the fact that this went away and then fans were able to make it on their own, they were able to build this thing on their own, I think that plays a huge, huge role in Star Trek coming back at all. You know, Because, again, it goes back to that friendly thing of if I say to somebody, oh, I'm going to the Star Trek convention, you know, it's 1973, and I say I'm going to the Star Trek convention, I'm going to go meet William Shatner. What, are you kidding? Star Trek? Isn't that a show that went away a few years ago? Yeah, but he's going to be there, and it'll be fun. You start building this sense of community around it, and that that says a lot. No, I'm not sure it had to die to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm following you. I'm, I'm, it's mm-hmm. very interesting what you're saying. I, I, I think, think it absolutely had to. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I, I kind of think it had to as well. I mean, it, it, there's almost like a – it had to be taken away from people, it almost feels like. I mean, because then you prize it more when you when it does return. I mean, when it comes back. I mean, there's yeah. like – look, I loved Battlestar Galactica. I love Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica when it, when it was on. I don't miss it. It was great, but I'm not. I'm not sitting there going, "Wow!" So what? What are those characters doing now? What you know? What is that? Or can I get more of that? I was. I was turned on by Caprica because it was sort of a different telling. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not sort of. It, it ran its course, and yeah. and having run its course, I'm okay with the fact that it's gone. Star Trek was taken away from people. People who were you know still tuning in, despite the the unevenness of season three, there were still people who were still tuning in. Now the other part of it is. And when I try to compare it to things like Battlestar Galactica, for example, I mean, one thing that Star Trek really has going for it, there's not a bad guy. There are lots of bad guys, but there's not a bad guy. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we might come across the villain of the week or we might come across the foil of the week, but we like these people and we like what these people are trying to do. And we like the message that these people are bringing to us of, 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 of a future that that is brighter, you know, of a future, especially. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this all throughout our, you know, 79 episodes. The, the 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 tumult uh, that would that was the late 1960s to turn on your tv you know during the vietnam war to turn on your tv sure. during race riots and and you know have a bunch of people say wow look at us we're in space <laughs> and, yeah. and, and occasionally going wow we used to have problems like you know hating people because they were black when we were white or because we were you know whichever i mean to basically sit there weekly after the news and say, yeah, all that stuff that happened on the news, don't worry, because this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's another- to really put yourself there like you're doing, I mean, that's phenomenal because you really are you, you're really getting the perspective or to the best of your ability, and that's a real, real smart way to do it. And again, that's one of the things I love about the way you guys do the show. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's no. all right. You do that every five minutes and I'm okay with it, honestly. <laughs> 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 There is another piece here that I think is kind of important about Star Trek's enduring appeal, and that is just the nostalgia aspect. And I don't mean that to like downplay uh, the the abilities or the qualities of the show, but I think nostalgia plays a big role in you know J.J. Abrams making a Star Trek reboot, well sequel, <laughs> depending how you look at it, mm-hmm. of the original series, not next generation um 
there's something about that show, regardless of its failings, uh, you know, from a production budget, production value. You know, you and I, Ken, will sort of make fun every now and then of, oh, it looks like they really cut the budget on this episode. But it's still a sexy show. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And there, I remember I got to a point with Next Gen where I just couldn't watch it anymore. You know, now that it's back out on Blu-ray and you get to see it refreshed, it really looks beautiful. But there was a point where it just looked like every bad hotel you'd ever been in. But you would go back and look at the original series (laughs) and it just looks great. The colors are vibrant. The actors are vibrant. Uh, You know, when Shatner's sitting there on the bridge and he's sweating because you know the studio is just hot, <laughs> you know, there's something very like palpable about that. It's a cool looking show. Um, and that might just be a stylistic thing that that aesthetic has sort of come back 45, 50 years later. Um, that mid century modern aesthetic is cool again. Um, but John, the I st- think you're crazy. No. no. Why do you think I'm crazy? Absolutely. Freaking insane. Why do you think I'm insane? Um, I, I've always loved the way the next gen look. I, oh, I love you, the look you're of insane. That show. You're I, I, I would want to be on the Enterprise D. I would kill myself if I were on the original Enterprise. Really? Because um, to me, I'm not saying I didn't like the look of, of the show, but I mean, the hard shadows initially become, you fall in love with them. I, mm-hmm. I know it was just kind of crappy lighting at the time. They were doing, they were doing what they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. And I've heard stories about. You know, I, I don't know if this was true, but, you know, uh, uh, Bob Justman dancing on my father's desk as he's finishing up the last line of that day's shooting script. You know, I mean, <laughs> these guys were just pressed constantly. So I, I get it. There was no money. There was no time. You know, talent was sparse, but they got some amazing people to do amazing things. Um, you know, so I, I, I do get that. But if I can't believe you couldn't get through Next Gen. Oh, no. I, see, at the time, in 1987, when that came on, I was right there in front of the TV just like everybody else. Then you flash forward 10, 15 years later, and you look at it again and you just go, wow, this is very sterile, very stale. Everything has the same color palette. Um, and then I go back and watch the original series and go, wow, this is very vibrant and alive feeling. But I, like I said, I, I take some of that back because the, the next-gen Blu-rays really make that show uh, yeah. uh, much more tangible again, um, but yeah, yeah. That, I, I don't know. I just I think the nostalgia has to play a role in this. Of, I, and I think, and you, I know you. You love that sort of stuff. I do. Yeah, you love that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can we get into? Um, I don't want to say the philosophy or anything like that. I, I just wanted to talk about a few things that that jumped out at me throughout the season mm-hmm. that that are more questions than than well, they're observations more than than anything else. Um, and it's just really interesting. When I, when I say that I'm a little surprised where we are today, considering the original series, if you just encapsulate it alone, the philosophy, the ideas that have come out of Star Trek. Star Trek, the original series, had a ton of, of philosophical points in it, by all means. Um, but I, I, I often just try to figure out how did we get to today? Because there was a lot of conflicting stuff when you had to do with the United Federation of Planets and 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 uh, so one of the things that always kind of blew me away was the Prime Directive, and and I've I love the way they handled it at least the first season, part of the second season. I'm not sure. I can't remember. 
John, you're so much better than I am at this, but in third season, we, we really didn't touch too much on the Prime Directive that I, that I can recall, at least not the last half of the season. Not, not in the third, no. I mean, we, we really got to put a finger on the Prime Directive in A Private Little War. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when Kirk basically says, like, yeah, I, I helped come up with that. <laughs> you know? That was my idea. Yeah. So he was allowed to break it whenever he wanted. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's the creator's prerogative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, that's the thing that I loved. You know, there, yeah, was, yeah. there was a right time for the prime directive and there was a wrong time. You, you didn't always want to do it. And I, and I, I did love that about uh, at least the first two seasons. All right. So here are a few things that I picked up as we were going along. Um, immortality sucks. It's the journey, not the destination. And a lot of these things were taken from particular episodes when we were recording. And f- I'm Ken, like you, I cannot remember the names of them. But if anything <laughs> rings a bell in either of your heads, go ahead and throw out, throw out uh, the name of the episode. Uh, another one was always question authority and question absolute authority. You know, um, that was one that I, I really loved. And often it had to do with false gods versus no gods. You know, when they were always dealing with the machines or some sort of being that came down and said, it is the way it is because I say it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I always loved those episodes. And I, and I really feel like a majority of them were in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, to be kept against your will versus free will. Uh, that's an obvious one. That goes back to the cage even. You know, because I've often thought about if I were put in a scenario, if I were locked up but allowed to have any imaginary reality that I wanted uh, and anyone in it with me, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me think, Hey, wait, the future of the internet, we're going to be plugging ourselves into this thing one day and we're going to be able to live our lives. Ken, I know you love this <laughs> in whatever world we want. And, and I get the idea that he was still locked up. It was still against his will. So I'm totally on board with it being against your will. Uh, but part of me said, that's, that's not, that's not so bad. You know, mm-hmm. that, and, and in the end, they actually, sort of made that statement by, what was the female character's name? Vina. Vina. Oh, I got it first. I move ahead five (laughs) points in today's game. Go ahead, I'm sorry. They they kind of summed up that episode with her saying, like, you know, this will be a better life for her. Well, and And, they do the same thing to Pike at the end of the Menagerie. Right, exactly. And and I think it's brilliant because it, it puts a conditional spin on that idea, you know, well, it, it, his freedom is now the ability to imagine a life outside of the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, e, e, even if that is a, even if what he's experiencing is a false construct, it, it still gives him mentally a sense of uh, freedom and ability. So I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. It, we, we do the same thing to Pike that we did to Vina. See, before. the only, the only part that bothers me about, well, Never mind. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, you started. It, it's it. the use of the word. It's the use of the word false. I mean, I remember false happiness mm-hmm. came up quite a bit when we talked about yeah. this, and 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 you know the, this this. Uh, I don't understand false, false and false. What is false? false. <laughs> what, what did Hamlet say? And I know it's that whole thing of falling back on Shakespeare, but um, uh, he could be in a nutshell and count himself uh, the king of infinite space. Do you remember this? Do you, do you right, know what I'm talking right. about? Yep. When somebody asks how he fares and he says he fares well enough for being in a prison. Right. And, you know, to him, Denmark is a prison because, you know, of what's going on in his life. I mean, this whole idea of, 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 of false happiness or false. I don't I don't quite get that. And this goes to the this goes to the problem that we had in um, 
uh, the site of paradise. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's so anyway, I'm sorry. I just immediately well, I rankle think, at that. Go ahead. I think will has a lot to do with that, whether you're put in there against your will or whether it's choice. Well, yeah, I and mean, we, in, the, in, the, in the menagerie, I'm with you. In yeah, the menagerie, yeah. I'm absolutely with you. But then there are things like um, uh, the apple or or uh, the side of paradise where I obviously I, I tend to stand on the opposite side from everybody else. <laughs> right, right. Well, I know, Ken, you're, you're, you're going to want to get away from the confines of your flesh and mortal body and sure. download yourself to a computer one day. Upload. And that's the same thing as us all going into the Internet one day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it'll evolve to a point where we have these alternate realities. It's, I mean, I hate to steal things from other shows, but it's, it's sort of, it's the matrix. And um, if you can create your own world, that's awesome. But what's going to happen out here? I'm not saying it's wrong to go into that. I think free will. If it's your choice to live in a machine or an alternate reality, by all means, go do it. But it's really going to be interesting to see the impact on, on well, dare I say, reality. There's an interesting... Um... Oh, I believe his name is Dennis Danvers, and forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Oh, oh it shares a name with a bad uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I know that gives us a lot to choose from. Yeah, yeah, that's a little tough. Yeah, yeah sorry. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, crud. Danvers is the guy's name. But there, there's this thing, um, this hmm. alternate reality thing. It's called The Bin. And people put themselves in the bin, um, which is, you know, sort of uploading yourself to this place where everything's perfect and everything's fine. And it actually talks about the people who stay on in reality, who, who stay on Earth, as opposed to the people who sort of upload themselves. With two novels, um, they're connected, kind of, but you don't have to read one to read the other. It was kind of an interesting idea. And I wish I could remember. The, I know the last name is Danvers. I believe the first name is Dennis. Uh, Circuit of Heaven. Might have been one hmm. of the books. Yeah. So anyway, kind of an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, Matrix, sure. There's also just living on the holodeck, like our good friend Mr. Broccoli did. Broccoli? I'm sorry. <laughs> Barkley? <laughs> yeah. I'm so close. Yes. That's a joke for many years from now, <laughs> I suppose. So right. should we actually get to the um, some of the individual episodes, some of the categories? John, you came up with categories. I came up with categories. We came up with categories. I did. I did. I mean, yeah. uh, if we look at individual episodes, you know, people kept asking us, well, are you going to do your top five, your bottom five? I honestly don't want to do that because it's like when somebody asks me, what's your favorite movie? Well, my favorite movie right now might be one thing, but get back to me in three days. It'll be something else. It's really hard to say. Um, I feel like my perspective on Star Trek is going to change, you know, whenever you catch me. Um Looking at overall favorites in no particular order. I want to catch you on the day that the alternative factor is your favorite. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's let's wait for that day. <laughs> um, who mourns for Adonais? Uh, Rod, you, you kind of already brought it up, this idea of uh, Star Trek's questioning of authority, the, the god, the false god, all of that. I, I still think that the, the message and idea in that episode is so provocative that it, it really speaks to me. Uh, Devil in the Dark is Star Trek's great example of compassion. It, can, I, can I jump in? I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. I, that is, is still probably one of my favorites, and I'm in full agreement, because one of the things that really bothered me about TOS was in one episode, they would come across an alien species that would be a perceived threat. And they would do what I, what I believe the Federation and what the Prime Directive states, which is they would try to reach out 
and make contact and do everything they can before they would have to fire their weapons. Mm -hmm. Other episodes, right at the end, kill it. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. That turned me off. I mean, Star Trek's been ingrained and that whole philosophy has been ingrained in me. And when I saw episodes where they would just kill it, I forgot the one. There was like one that was an amoeba or something, I think. Oh, uh, Operation Annihilate. Uh, no, 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 not Oh, 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 oh um, inside uh, the cell. Uh, the episode you're looking for is the immunity syndrome. Yeah, well, in the end, I, I believe they just killed it. But uh, I think one of you said that it it it, it was going to take over the universe. But I can't remember. Were they? Did they ever try to make contact? It was a life form. It was a single-celled organism. Yeah. But still, I, I always want them to make the effort. I want the message to be, and this is what it was in Next Generation. And of course, I'm a product of the Next Generation. You know, killing is the last resort. You make every attempt to make contact and uh, and and find out the intentions of whatever species it is. I under I understand that this one was a single cell, except I don't understand how you can make a single cell that big. But anyhow, <laughs> um, it, it just I got really angry at those episodes where they totally ignored trying to reach out to the creature. And it really just upset me. Devil in the Dark, for some reason, is, is probably my number two episode. It's kind of the, the crowning achievement uh, of that, of, of getting across this philosophy that we, that, that we like to say, hey, this is what Star Trek is about. You know? well, um, so one of my other favorites here, uh, of course, City on the Edge of Forever. Um, even though I, I think Ken... You will say that this is not a very Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. This is a love story. Yeah. I agree with you. Yes. Um, but it's still a favorite of mine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a good episode, yeah. but it, it's a good episode. I mean, it's it doesn't do what Star Trek does or it doesn't do. I mean, if we assume that there is a a mission to Star mm-hmm. Trek, if we assume that there is a goal for Star Trek, this does not further that at all. It's a great piece of science fiction and it's a wonderful yeah. love story. And it's really neat to see uh, Kirk on the horns of a real dilemma and feel that he's actually on the horns of a dilemma as opposed to, you know, in some episodes where it's just, okay, give me a look like you're worried, you know, which is, you know, seems to be the most direction that Shatner got in some episodes. Yeah. He's actually, I mean, he's there for this episode. Uh, Nimoy is there for this episode. Um, It's a wonderful episode, but it doesn't do anything for, um, you know, so how does this inform how we live our lives? Well... Sometimes the person you love has to die. <laughs> Kids, you know, which which well, also is a theme of one of the early animated episodes that we're going to get to as well. There is, there is one mind blowing, and uh, forgive me if you guys already mentioned this in the actual episode, but the the power of one person, you know, um, yeah. that I mean, I, I'm not sure that was the intention, and I'm not sure how much it rings true for the people watching and listening, but uh, you know, Edith Keeler was that one person who made the difference. Yeah, or you got Mira Spock, one man can start a revolution. Yeah, that's yeah. actually probably a better illustration of that because, I mean, yeah. let's, let's remember if Edith Keeler had lived, uh, Hitler would have won. Even True. with all of Edith Keeler's <laughs> great ideas. True, yeah, that's actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah now, now that I think about it, <laughs> if you invert my idea. <laughs> right, right, exactly. One person, right idea. one person can make a difference, so if you see that person... Make sure yeah. they die before they make a <laughs> before they make a difference. Yeah, but but here's the thing: this goes back to something I brought up earlier about 
Star Trek's enduring appeal. This is an episode that really puts a, a, a fine point on those characters. It cements what we like about Kirk and Spock and McCoy. So, unfortunately, we do it early enough in the run of the series that you get to experience them as they grow. You know, Star Trek, it, looking back at 79 episodes, this is not a show that does a lot of deep character development. We get hints of it, like Spock's breakdown in The Naked Time, which I think is completely brilliant. Um, but overall, if you look at the show, this, is not, this was a show built, uh, as we have said before, kind of like an anthology where every episode could stand on its own. And you're not creating a huge character arc from the beginning of a season to the end of a season. So Sitting on the Edge does a really good job of giving us some more emotional life in these characters. And that kind of was an observation that I had about the series overall as well, that I feel like the secondary characters are really underused. You know, these are iconic characters. When you think about Sulu, Chekhov, Uhura, and I was shocked at how little of them we got. So it's a testament to the actors. It's a testament to something that they live in our minds just as vividly as Kirk Spock McCoy. I, I'm actually going to throw one more in there that's going to bother you. Mm-hmm. Janice Rand. Oh, no, of course. Yeah, she, she yeah, She was yeah. like a lot of undelivered potential, I think. And yeah, maybe yeah. because of what happened with uh, with Grace Lee Whitney. It may yeah. be because, you know, they didn't want to do the whole, you know, we don't want the, you, I know, did not want the tortured relationship angle that seemed to me was growing up in that it's much better to do you know girl of the week but yeah there was a lot of potential in 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 that and in i mean does does kurt get to walk around being quite as sexist in season three if he's been dealing with rand through season one and two instead of just through the first six or seven episodes of season one right right. i don't know she was actually the most Early on, she was the most well-realized. She may have actually been the most well-realized regular female character on the show. Uhura was well-treated in some episodes, and she was scenery in other episodes, and it's not even mentioned when she's not there. I mean, occasionally, you know, like there was an episode that, um, oh, the one where, um, for the world (laughs) is hollow and I have touched the sky, I believe. I'm not sure if that's the one, but I think that's it, where, where... Chekhov is not even in the episode, but he gets a name check. You oh, know, right. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sulu said something down on the planet, and, and, and Kirk said, if I had wanted that kind of thing, I would have brought Chekhov. Okay, wow. And and yet he's not even in that episode. Uhura is hit or miss. Rand was actually, it seemed to me, developing into a character all the way through in a way that uh, Nurse Chapel has never actually developed either. Some weeks you get, you know... She's in love with Spock. There's a weird thing going on with them. It's, you know, he seems sort of tortured by it. She is definitely tortured by it. And then the next week, um, she's just she's just a prop in sick bay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, Ken, I think the title you're looking for is That Which Survives, uh, when everybody was really testy and uh, Kirk tells Sulu, oh, yeah, you know, if I wanted that kind of lip, I'd, I would have brought Chekhov. All right. <laughs> I think that's the one. It may have I mean, been. It'd be sure. I have yeah. no problem believing that at all. A <laughs> um, couple more favorites. Uh, Corvamite Maneuver. Yes. Yeah, I know. That's mine. Know. That's top yep. of my list. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. top of my list. Why? Uh, the puppetry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's uh, for all the reasons that we've re- referenced uh, the Corbin Might maneuver since the day that it happened. I mean, it was yeah. it was the you know being who you say you're going to be plus the examination of death that I found in it. I don't you know it turns out I was uh, or that episode was about a year before the whole five stages of grief, and yet it seems to me to be a perfect illustration. And I'm fine with that. My assumption was when when they wrote it. And when we reviewed that episode, that they were actually writing based on that. And maybe it's actually just, you know, there are ideas that seem to hit one day. And maybe it hit whoever wrote that script around the same time that it was hitting, you know, somebody who was dealing with grief. I don't know. Excuse me. I said the five stages of death. Five stages of grief is what I meant. Um, Just an incredibly rich episode, it seems to me. Um, Rod, I I think that, Ken, what you just said about... um, uh, Star Trek having this through line of behaving the way that you say that you are. Um, I, Rod, I think that's another one that goes on the list of, of the big topics that show up throughout Star Trek. You know, we got to an episode that I did not like, um, with the Omega Glory. But, but Ken, you really hammered me on this idea of Kirk at the end of that, even if he's reading the Constitution and he's overacting the Constitution. Um, he is making the words have meaning. And mm-hmm. he's telling the people there, if you're going to create this ideal, you have to try to live up to the ideal. Right. And we see a lot of that in Star Trek. So whether it's a good episode or a not-so-good episode, I would say a good episode of that is the Corp of Mike Maneuver. A not-so-good episode of that is the Omega Glory. Um, but that is a theme that we find throughout Star Trek. Um, and and I, I really think that is one of those big themes that holds up over time. Um, more favorites, Charlie X. Yeah. Still, uh, really yeah, that's, that one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, where no man has gone before, uh, the second pilot and I'll go ahead and throw in the cage, the first pilot as well. Um, I think they both hold up in kind of strange, unexpected ways. Like the cage just has a very different feel to it. Um, you do have this sort of, awe and wonder of discovery and uh, the psychological mind games of uh, uh, Pike's journey. Uh, You also have Pike kind of worn out, which I thought was a really interesting choice for a character. uh, That was actually, that that struck me too as, and we talked about this a couple of times, there's one I remember where um, Uhura was bored. Yeah, right. And, and, And you get that with Pike as well, and that's sort of an interesting idea. That almost speaks to taking a bit of the wonder, taking a bit of the Flash Gordon, taking a bit of the Rocky Jones out of the whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it assumes that we are going to get to space to the point that it assumes that we're going to be bored right. in space. I mean, Pike, and this is something you, I mean, occasionally Kirk seems to feel put upon, but Kirk's never bored as the captain of, of the Starship Enterprise, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and when we meet Pike, he's been at it so long and it's taken such a toll, you know, and, and they had just come through some battle and we don't we, we're never really, I don't think, told exactly what happened. But I mean, it, the Enterprise has been roughed up a bit. Yeah. To the point that Pike's just like nuts to this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go be a slave trader. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or whatever right. What? it was he was going to do. I can't remember. I know that was one possibility that was thrown out to him by uh, Dr. Boyce. How do I remember Dr. Boyce's name? I can't remember who <laughs> who the guest was last week, but I'm like, oh, yeah, Boyce and Pike, they were like this. I got to say, the, the Cage was definitely one of my favorites as well. And you just brought up, I was wondering, you know, what would this series have been like? And I'm asking you guys, if, if, uh, if you kept 
that cast. You know, if you kept Jeffrey Hunter and you didn't get rid of, uh, and you didn't bring on uh, Shatner, uh, I really wonder because I really, really enjoyed. You brought up one of the most, I don't want to say powerful, but I noticed that too when he was sitting there and with his his head in his hand and he's just kind of just beaten from from all the crap that he's been through recently. I I I could empathize. I could feel that character. I could you know I it made sense. And and you're right. I don't know if I I don't want to say Shatner was bad, but I never really noticed that with him. I never I don't want to say never. I rarely empathized with him and and his plight. Hmm. Um, you know, Nimoy has said over and over that bringing Shatner on the show told him how to play Spock. Because mm. if you look at the cage and you look at Spock in the cage and he, he's giggling like a schoolgirl when he notices the plants that, that make yeah. a little musical tone. And then, of course, our, our favorite lines from that episode, first line in Star Trek, check the circuit. And uh, his other one, the women, his freak out. Um, <laughs> these are all things that show an actor who hasn't quite figured out the character yet. And Nimoy has said that when they brought Shatner on and here's this bigger than life actor playing this bigger than life character, then he knew exactly what Spock had to be. And you look at all the contributions that Nimoy made to the character Spock that carried over as a contribution to defining what Vulcan is and who the Vulcan people are. That's huge. So I think we really owe that to that chemistry. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Hunter is a great actor, and that could have been a really interesting road to go down. But I, I think we would have missed out on some of what makes the supporting cast so great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. But, I mean, I really loved his portrayal. Yeah. Of, uh, what, what, it wasn't Robert April. What was his character? Christopher Pike. Christopher Pike. Yeah. I'm thinking of an earlier draft. Right, right. And, and hey, not to blow smoke, but number one. I, I loved Majel as number one. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen that character back, probably more so than Nurse Chapel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah because well, number one. Oxana's the best, but go ahead. Sorry. Number mm-hmm. one was not a, uh, she was not a um, a prop. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that goes to the uneven writing again that happened in, in Star Trek. I mean, not every character was. Heck, Bones isn't even that important. They, yeah. I mean, he can be turned into whatever they want. The gumbification of, of, of McCoy <laughs> is stunning. Some weeks he's like smart and understands everything. And other weeks he's just, you know, he's just a he's just a 13 year old boy who, who can't see past how beautiful somebody is. Right. Some weeks he, you know, respects Spock. Some weeks he doesn't. He really is a wonderful character when he's allowed to be. But he can be written just like dumber than cotton. <laughs> I mean, depending, just depending on what people need for him to be. Um, I, have, I have some other topics that I want to hit. Not topics, but uh, some other uh, categories that I want to hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, foil of the week. Okay. I'm, I'm torn. It's, it's between Trelane and Gorgon. And I, oh and I will God, tell you, no. I know. Here's the thing. No. I have actually, we have joked about Which it so much. As the, you believe, the, so shall you do. So shall you do. Curtain. So shall you do. The the leader of the children and the children shall lead. Got it. Yeah. I'm actually, I've really, you know, I got to say props to him because, <laughs> and I know I joked about it during the show, during the episode that we did, but the power of positive thinking for negative results. Here's, here's what Gorgon has, man. 
He's got a belief, and he instills that belief in people. And I know I joked about it during the show, but seriously, he could have been a motivational speaker because there's no way that eight kids should have been able to take over the Enterprise, except they believed. Well, and they could do that thing with their fist, whatever that was. Oh, <laughs> but really, out of your mind. Really, it's the believing. It's the it's the whole you know. His mon- his children. his Mondays are better than most people's Christmases. He didn't deceive the children. I don't think they, he told them they could take over the enterprise, and they did. Well, but he tricked them into it essentially. Well, he didn't yeah, tell his, sure. His plans, right? Well, there is that. It, well, I, the power of positive thinking for negative results. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Trillane yep. really is a more interesting character, though. I mean, because uh, Gorgon really is a one-trick pony. You know, he all he has is that motivational speaker shtick. It's like when Tony Robbins is on TV, you believe whatever, and you know, there's no telling what he's like when the when when the camera's off. I assume that he's just that same big grin, grinning, you know, could take over the world just with the power of his mind kind of guy. But um, Trillane is a much more um, hmm, complex character, I would say. Despite his, uh, despite his immaturity. Well, I'll throw out some other foils. What, what about uh, Khan? I mean, I, I think that we talked about Space Seed. Eh. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. We, we talked about Space Seed as an episode that has to hold up because of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But right. I think taken on its own, Space Seed, I, I like Khan as a foil. Yeah. I, I really do. Yeah. Even if the episode has weaknesses. Well, yes. Um, oh, okay, I, I changed my answer. Con. Okay. Uh, Gila, <laughs> wink of an eye. She's not a foil. Oh, I guess she is, isn't she? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't. Sure I is. do not think of her as a foil at all. <laughs> she's. 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 I, I don't. Not to. I can't think of a good way to say this that won't make me just as sexist as every episode of Star Trek. But if we're going to do a girl, <laughs> if we're going to do a girl of the week. Um, yeah. If we're going to do a romantic interest of the week, if we're going to do a romantic foil, let's say, she wins. Yeah, For all three uh, seasons, she wins. I I was just absolutely in love with that character. Here, here. Yeah. Uh, more more so than Andrea and what her little girl's made of. Because oh, yeah. Dila yeah, was yeah. the whole package, you know? Yeah. I mean, she was, she was attractive. I like the fact that she wasn't 24. Right. Um. And I also like the fact that, uh, yeah, she was, yeah, she was, a, she was just a great character across the she board. She had power. I mean, it, it was nice to see a, a female character with some power. Yeah. You know? So uh, I really appreciated that. Let, let's talk about some least favorites, shall we? Least favorite what? Episodes. <laughs> Cat's paw. Okay, uh, right. that's on my list too. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that's that's also- my list. <laughs> oh so well, no wait a minute wait a minute uh, and the children shall lead is on my list i, I really think you're underselling gorgon <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the empath i know that there are people who just uh, love that episode ow. but e- even when you e- even when all you're focusing on is the message of the episode mm-hmm. i feel like it's just a badly made episode and, and i can't get past that i have to have both i have to have Production script, production value. I also want the message and the story and the character exploration. Um, and, I, and I just can't get pa- past how badly made that episode is. Yeah, I just don't even remember liking the um, message in that episode. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the one that's sort of like in the black box theater, right? Right, right. Yeah, with the Vians. Yep. Yeah, no. Um, There's nothing about that episode that I enjoyed. Alternative factor? Love it. <laughs> that's Paul. 
Yeah, what, what? I already said cat spa. What, Did you say cat spa? Do you hate it that much that you want to say it I again? It. You should say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love the alternative factor, by the way, but it's I, I don't hate it as much as you do, obviously. It was a flawed episode, no question. But uh, I, Although, again, I, I've often wondered if I just sort of appreciate it, you know, in retrospect. Yeah. Sort of like I hated Mary when we first got to it because we were only about, uh, what, 15 episodes in, maybe less than that. And so Miri was just, oh, this horrible stumble after so many great episodes in season one. And then, you know, by season three, you want to go check back in with Michael exactly. Pollard and, you know, his his nutty band of kids. Well, that, that, that goes to a list that I have of episodes I'm letting off the hook. Um, I'm letting Miri off the hook mm-hmm. for now. And in some weird way, Turnabout Intruder, like... It is the most sexist episode of Star Trek. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. But it's still more enjoyable than a lot of other really terrible Star Trek. So in a way, I would rather watch that than go back and watch maybe, well, definitely The Empath or The Alternative Factor or And the Children Shall Lead. I would rather watch it than um, The Empath. Yeah. I'd rather watch those other two episodes, though. Oh, interesting. Just All because, right. I mean, and the children shall lead. It, I just have too much fun in my head with the Gorgon speaking tour. <laughs> I really think we're, we're, we're going to make a motivational poster for you, Ken. Dude, be I'm, I'm, I'm writing the creation. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to try to get my own panel. Just you yeah, know, Nice. Power of positive where thing the, for where evil. Where does Wolf in the Fold fit for you guys? Because that's one that's, that's I, I, I'll be honest, I was, I was really bored by it. I really didn't like that creature jumping from person to person or whatever it was that was going on. I just, I tuned out. You know, it's interesting. Wolf in the fold for me would have to go on a list that I've made of episodes that I can't believe I forgot about. Mm. And I know it sounds like I'm, I'm kidding about that, but there were actually wolf in the fold. I can sort of believe that I forgot about, except that you just said the name and it took me a minute to remember which one you're talking about. It's the one where piglet is Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, Spectre of the Gun and the Apple. Actually, as we were preparing for today's episode, I was going back over the list, and I was like, oh, wow, the Apple. I remember being so incensed by that, and I just don't even think about it now. I don't remember that episode at all. And it drove me nuts. And I still remember lines now that we we talk about it. We call it freedom, and you're going to love it a lot, (laughs) or like it a lot, or whatever. And it's like, well, you call it freedom, because you're the captain of a starship, and you're going to take paradise away from these people. (laughs) It's going to serve you right when paradise is taken away from you, but don't worry about it because Spock will make you forget the whole thing anyway. Life is so easy for Captain Kirk. So, it is. So, it is. <laughs> and Spectre of the Gun, I remember really enjoying Spectre of the Gun at the time. Couldn't yeah. tell you what it's about right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? I know there's the minimalist set, which I enjoyed, and that was yeah. the, the gunfight, and the Earps were bad guys, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> but to your point, Rod, that Spectre of the Gun is an episode where they try desperately not to fight. Wait, Wolf. Right. Oh, okay, sorry. Spectre yeah. of the Gun. Yeah, I was going to say, right. no, he was talking about Wolf in the Fold, but well, that's no, what but you're Wolf, saying, Wolf. trying not to fight. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wolf in the Fold is uh, it's kind of a mess. I mean, it, it could have been an interesting story, but it, it, it's a mess. It's another gumbification of a character, though. Well, exactly. This week, yeah. Scotty hates women. Right. <laughs> Not really. I mean, he, Scotty never hates women, but he doesn't. He does this episode, yeah, because because he got hit on the head, yeah, and and that was a woman's fault. I, I'm going to give you my list of episodes that are not as bad as everyone thinks. 
Um, Spock's brain is the obvious one. Yes. Spock's brain is goofy and campy and weird and funny, but it's still not as bad as everyone thinks, as the, the collective consciousness will tell you it is. Um, I, I still say that The Way to Eden, I would rather watch that than many other mediocre episodes of yeah. Star Trek. Um, and Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Um, I think anybody who thinks that Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is a bad episode is just drinking too much. Or yeah. or not <laughs> enough. <laughs> One of the two. I think that's a great episode, actually. I was actually surprised that people actually would consider that a bad episode. I know they, they, they hit the nail on the head, but they, they, it was, that was perfect for the era that it was out. It was actually, it's perfect for now, too. We, we got a, a great email from a listener saying this is the, a, a great example of Star Trek moving into the point of storytelling as advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, instead of just saying like, oh, hey, look, here's this interesting problem. Here's a story that is actually saying, no, y- you are dumb if you <laughs> will destroy yourself by these petty racially motivated uh, 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 violences that you, that you carry out on each other. And I love that. Well, I, not, I love that email. Not even saying, you know, you're dumb if you will destroy yourself doing this, but also saying you will destroy yourself doing this. Yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, not saying, you know, you might do this, but here's where you're headed. Yeah. And, and so stop that. Right. Yeah. And I, and I love the ending on that one, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a happy ending. Right. Which, you know, it's, it's kind of dark to some degree, but I, I really, I sometimes enjoy those episodes where they make their statement and they don't just have to sum it up and make it happy to make the audience happy. They say, no, it's going to be bad. And if they do this, it will be bad. And oh, whoop, they, they did it. It's bad. Yeah. See also, yeah. see also a private little war. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fan, um, amazing ending for that episode. Just like, you know, Kirk practically cursing. At the end of it, just but not like angry cursing, but just like, uh, wow. So this, yeah. this is where we are, and this is who we are, and there's not much that sucks more than that. Um, episode with a surprise message. I say, yeah. I say, Ooh. I, I mud. I um, and, and I know yeah. I, I really bothered a lot of people by by you know looking for meaning in that episode. <laughs> But I found it. I, sadly, I didn't agree with it. I, you know, yeah. the whole idea of self-actualization and all that stuff coming up in there, that really, it really annoyed people because apparently what I was supposed to do was not think. <laughs> How dare you? I know. How dare you? Yeah, man. kind of a jerk. And, yeah. and do you have any other list that you want to hit? Because I have, I have the, one, the, the one question I think should sum the whole thing up. Okay, well, if you I have anything else over- you want to hit. Go yeah, for yeah, it. I, I just have my overappreciated. Okay, list. you see, for that I, one, I'm going to say "City on the Edge of Forever." Okay, and, and it's because it, it's inconsequential to Star Trek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's me personally. It's still a yeah, great episode. Really, don't mis- okay. don't misunderstand me. It's still a fantastic episode. I love it. I love watching it. But there are people who will say that that is the episode of Star Trek, and 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 you know, I don't. I, I think it's a wonderful episode, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the episode. I don't think it encapsulates what Star Trek does. But that's one of those point guys that you, you, you make that, that I I don't realize until I hear it. And you're a hundred percent right with that. I mean it everything you just said, it is one of the best episodes of the Star Trek series, but it is not one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and that goes back to, you know, the whole point of our show, which we kind of have this dialogue, dialogue with our listeners who will write us and say, no, you're you're missing the point. We're like, no, wait, the point of mission log <laughs> is to try to figure out the morals, messages, meaning of Star Trek as a whole. If we take all of these episodes and figure out what they're trying to say. And, and so I agree with you, Ken, that, you know, this is a great show uh, sitting on the edge is a great show on its own mm-hmm. but does it really inform what star trek is about not really not necessarily um my overappreciated list uh assignment earth i i think that that's one that there are a lot of fans uh, they enjoy it they enjoy kind of being uh brought back to the 1960s because it's fun to get kirk and spock out of their element mm-hmm. and we have these new characters but it just it felt like a slap together pilot for another show, which is what it was. Yeah. Um, the Tholian web. I know that that will make me unpopular, um, but the Tholian web, I feel like is a show that has some great iconic scenes. It's got kind of a cool, interesting, weird villain uh, or foil as we might say. Um, but it's kind of dull. Um, it just doesn't come together as a show. And finally, uh, Whom Gods Destroy. I think that the idea of Lord Garth has <laughs> stuck in people's minds as a more interesting character than he is, or at least as he is portrayed here. Now, we get hints of what he was um, just through Kirk and Spock talking about him, but it uh, just as an episode on its own, I really do not think it holds up well. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Underappreciated episode of Star Trek? Okay. It's a trick question because every episode of Star Trek <laughs> has been overappreciated by someone or as appreciated as it could possibly be by someone. Maybe. No, I'm wrong about that. I was going to say maybe with the exception of And the Children Shall Lead, but we. Man, we 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 put that on the spit yeah. in in our uh, in our in our uh, episode of it, and we got you know, letters back from people saying, you know, when I was watching this and I was eight, mm-hmm. yeah, kids taking over the Enterprise, awesome. I'm there, <laughs> right. and so I, I I do not believe that there is an underappreciated episode of Star Trek. I could be wrong. A question for both of you guys. Um, how has your perspective of the original series changed? Is it different now than when we started this? Uh, well, I, yes, absolutely. You, you touched on that at the beginning, Rob. Yeah, yeah, no, a- absolutely. And and I know I really came off as sounding disappointed as if I didn't like it. Um, I did appreciate it, but it was really a struggle, and I, I think I already said this, to 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 imagine myself back in the shoes of someone in 66 at whatever age and, and really appreciate everything that you guys already mentioned, the fact that there wasn't much on TV, what was going in our world, what was going on in the world. You know, it's really, really hard to connect with that and then look at it through these eyes of today, 2014, and, and see the same thing. But with your help, I've, I've been able to get closer to that. And I, and I have found a tremendous appreciation. I still have my favorites. Mm-hmm. And I still have the ones that, you know, I really don't like and don't care to see again. Um, but it, this is the dumbest statement. You know what Star Trek is? An excellent start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sorry, and I mean the t- TOS. And yeah. that's, that's an obvious statement because that, that's obviously what it was. 
but it is, it is a springboard for so much more. It's a springboard clearly for what's come after it. Um, and it's just grown. And I can see now how the philosophy, how the idea has expanded so much and appealed to so many people with all the other incarnations that have come from it. So, you know, including the movies. So it is, it is the perfect, you know, springboard for that. Hmm. In my opinion. What about you, Ken? Shatner's a better actor than I gave him credit for going into it. That's honestly been one of the greatest revelations to me. Um, I would catch the occasional episode. I didn't study Star Trek the way, you know, certainly you have, and certainly not the way that I have in doing uh, Mission Log. Uh, Shatner's just a much better actor than I thought he was, uh, in a way that he's not in the movies, with the exception of his eulogy in Star Trek II. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I've said several times, uh, Shatner is pretty much doing a caricature of Shatner in just about everything that he's in at this mm-hmm. point, um, which is fun to watch. But it was also fun to see that, you know, he he was an actor and that he can act as opposed to just acting like Captain Kirk or just acting like William Shatner. Otherwise, I'm a little disappointed at how it devolved. I was surprised when we first started it that that he wasn't love him and leave him Kirk. That really doesn't happen until about halfway through season two, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. But that happens really. It's almost like well, somebody's got to fall in love this week, so you know, we'll roll a die and see who it is. Oh, comes up Kirk again. Oh, this week it's Spock. Oh, this week it's Bones. You know, right? Occasionally right. it's Scotty. Just you know, right. <laughs> give him something. Yeah, it's 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 weird because. And we shouldn't talk about this because timelines, what have you. Next Gen doesn't really hit its stride until like uh, partway through the second season or even the third season, I think. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is the opposite. Star Trek started at its stride, it seems to me, and then you know stumbled and fell, stumbled and fell, and it would you know occasionally pick itself back up and, and run a really good run a really good leg, and then uh, stumble and fall again. Um, right, and that was kind of weird to see. I don't guess it was surprising, but it was it was kind of weird to see. I, I agree with that, Ken. That's the that's a, the perfect assessment of it. A lot of uh, TV shows, you know, they need a season or two to figure out what they're doing and where they're going. Star Trek, strangely, like you just said, started off real strong, and then, as you said, tripped and fell and got up all the way through. I I, I said it to somebody before that I feel like season three is underappreciated. Season two is overappreciated. Season one is appreciated just right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Goldilocks season. It is the Goldilocks season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's what was weird to me is that the things that I thought I knew about Star Trek, the things that I thought I knew about the characters are probably more a, a mishmash of having already seen the movies and then going back and rewatching it, having already heard people talk about, write about, uh, discuss Star Trek over and over again, the thing you kind of bring a lot of that with you when you go back and watch the original series. Ken, what you and I tried to do is watch all of this fresh and just see, okay, what are we given on screen? What can we infer only from that? Uh-huh. And that's one of the reasons that we don't want to jump the timeline. You know, we'll, we'll reference a thing. But we don't want to say, well, we all know that Kirk becomes this guy and then he fathers a child. And that, you know, that we don't want to do things that try to inform a character beyond what we're just given in this particular series. And, and we'll try to stay true to that, I, I think, because it's important to just take it 
as it was presented, you know. Um, so that was what was interesting to me. Um, we got some great statistics back from uh, two of our listeners, Steve and Dorothy, who went to heroic efforts to catalog everything that we did on Mission Log. Um, they wrote down, they did this huge spreadsheet. They wrote down our summaries of the shows. Do they hold up? Do they not hold up? What were the messages? Do the messages hold up? And then what's awesome from that is they, they did these charts, these pie charts that we're going to put up on the website. Uh, they'll be part of the discovered document that goes along with this show. Um, and you see this dramatic slope. Does the production hold up? And the no is kind of, you know, we start out at maybe 10 to 15% of the first season, maybe 10%. And then when you get down to the end of the third season, boy, you really see that red line grow dramatically. And then you see the fall off of the episodes that do hold up. We were nearly uh, either a yes or a maybe for the first season. We were over 75% holding up. And when you get down to season three, we're below 50% holding up. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. And then when you look at our averages, um, I said uh, of a series, the production holding up, less than 50%. Ken, you're a little over 50%. You're like 55.5%. Hmm. Um, so this is great stuff. Uh, messages standing the test of time. Boy, there's a really dramatic dip down from the first season at over 50%. Then when you get into season two, boom, it's just a drop. And then a little creep up by the time you get to the end of season three, because I think that's by the time we're getting to Let That Be Your Last Battlefield uh, and shows like that that really start to kind of buoy it again. Uh, so this is all great stuff, and uh, we want to publish it so everybody can take a look. Uh, I found it to be very, very interesting. You know what Mission Log is? Mission Log is a great course. It's a great philosophy course. You guys should be called Professor. I think everyone should write into you now as Professor Ken <laughs> and Professor John. Oh, and no. Take these episodes and, and you go through all, I keep saying 79, but isn't it 80 with the cage or is it 79 with the cage? Uh, it'll be, yeah, it's 80 with the cage. 80, we, yeah. They treated the menagerie as one. Right, right. right. Okay. So uh, 79, right. Yeah. So then uh, I, I think people could really, I, I think a, a college, someone out there has got to implement this. <laughs> I, well, okay, first of all, I, I think. a tremendous amount, I'm saying. I'm, I, I, each episode, uh, you guys picked up so much that I didn't. And so I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to you. There's, there's only one problem with your suggestion. Um, I called, uh, I, well, I called the title Professor when we started this show. So John's going to have to be Mary Ann. <laughs> <laughs> If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.